again. It's Chapo. Uh, we're coming to you today uh, with another movie episode. This is a movie that we have uh, referenced quite a few times on the show, but maybe if you're like us, it's a film that has been in your thoughts in the last few months. I'm speaking, of course, about Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. His final film, made in 1997, starring Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. It's based on the 1926 novella, Trom Novel, Dream Story, by an Austrian author named Arthur Schnitzel. This is Kubrick's last film, and probably his most enigmatic. Is this, similar to The Shining, his cinematic, coded confession about access to and knowledge of secret, elite, wealthy sex rituals and murder? Or is it an incredibly dry comedy of manners satirizing these sort of bourgeois values and aspirations of upper middle class people sort of at the periphery of actual extreme wealth and power? Uh, One thing's for certain, though, it was the most traumatic film experience for Felix since his parents made him watch Robert Altman's Gosford Park. I wouldn't say traumatic. It was just... I want to, you know, add the caveat. I've been up since 11. Okay. So it's a long movie. It's been a long day for me, but just the uh, Tom Cruise's constant repetition of the previous line said by any other actor in any scene with him, the piano in every fucking scene. I know that it's probably implied that like there's darker shit going on with the sex cult, but for the most part, it's just like girl on girl action. (laughs) That's what this is all a cover-up for. <laughs> there are, and that's what I choose to believe it's about. Because it was 1997, and that was the hottest thing available. There are so many things about this Angel movie. Angel Strawberry. When I, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There are so many things about this movie. When you watch it for the first time, or remember when I first saw it in theater, like after Kubrick had died, there's some question about you know how finished the version of this is. There raises so many questions, because there's so many things about this movie or the people in it that just don't make sense or just seem off in yeah. some way. We will, we're going to try to suss out the mysteries and the enigmas of this film. And to help us do it is our good friend Nick Mullen. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I don't have an answer. God damn it. Uh, God damn it dude. All right, well, episode's over. <laughs> Go home, fuck? everybody. I, yeah, I was, I, was, I was playing Flappy Bird on my phone while we watched it. So. But, you, yeah, I mean, yeah. you've seen this movie many yeah, times I actually, before. I, yeah, I, I mean, I rewatched it twice in the last like, month and a half after the Epstein stuff. To what extent this movie self-consciously anticipates or even references that world mm-hmm. is an open question. But I think the best way to do it to unpack everything that's going on here is go through the film because there's a lot going on here and I think it bears further investigation. So, gentlemen, let's enter the world of, of dreams. Yeah. I mean, if there is some kind of, like, admission or expose of, like, a secret elite world, it has to be that they fuck kids and you just can't... There's no even Kubrick couldn't be like I know this is gonna seem rough, <laughs> but it's for art, and we need to rape the kids. It's like when, like when the FBI ran that porn what child porn website for six months to catch more more pedophiles. Yeah. So that's okay, and it would be okay if you know, I don't know if like Martin Scorsese's next movie is like the the pedophile of Sicily. Or <laughs> It's like, I'm sure it'd be great. And if they have to get fucking Leo to improvise a child sex scene on camera, so be it. You know, it's, let it happen. It's the, it's the scene going into the Copa and Goodfellas, only it's into a daycare center. Yeah. 
did you see <laughs> the DVD commentary? It's like, you know, it was it was Jonah Hill's idea, actually. They, we were just filming, and then they started raping the eight-year-old, and we just thought, this is great. We're just going to see where this goes. See, it, it's interesting, because, like, I, I've, seen, I've seen this movie, like, a, a lot of times now. Uh-huh. And, like, the thing that people get, like... Uh, caught up on or what was so controversial about it when it came out is it like all, all the sex stuff yeah like this orgy and we'll get we'll we i want to describe the orgy later because it's one of the funniest scenes <laughs> it is ever it is hilarious um but like i think people get distracted by it like this movie's about like, about sex because it's really not mm-hmm. like sex is like the furthest thing from anyone's interest or motivation or behavior in this movie like all of that is just on a surface level i think like every scene and character in this movie that takes place is really all about money and like class and social position like that's what people are really talking about motivated by and is like the undercurrent that drives every interaction in this film Mm. so let's begin it opens with nicole kidman's ass uh, yes. This was a period, this was her, a 19... 19- her titties also. Yes. You can see the titties, but only through the mirror. It's her ass, which is lacking, that we have direct access to. This is so, a, yeah, this is a director's trademark. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick, there are tits in all his movies. He loved them. She has poverty ass. So we as the audience, we have some idea of what sex is. We think we're getting to see Nicole Kidman's ass and tits, when really we're only seeing her ass, right? And then through a screen anyways. The titties, which are, you know, pretty nice, are being reflected through the mirror back at her. So she's really the only person that has access to it. We're not viewing them. We're viewing her viewing her own tits. Mirrors are a very important trope in many of Stanley Kubrick's films. Mm-hmm. If you think of The Shining, every scene with a ghost mm-hmm. takes place in a, a room with a mirror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as Felix alluded to earlier, a common trope in the film is the fact that Tom Cruise repeats almost every line said to him yeah. before he goes on. Mm-hmm. So it is sort of a mirroring. It would be great if he did that in the scene mirroring. where the jocks are bullying him. <laughs> like, yeah, you want to suck my dick? Do I want to suck your dick? <laughs> that is the first thing I've, I've noticed the first time I'm watching, watching it this time. Tom Cruise, and then as it goes on, other characters too have this bizarre affectation of repeating a line that's just been said to them as a question. Yeah. It's like they're playing an improv game where you just have to keep it <laughs> and they going. just yeah. suck at it. Yeah. Well, if you, if you consider that the entire movie is a dream, that he's just having like a bad dream while his wife is also having a bad dream, he repeats every line said to him because all of the lines are originally sourced in his own consciousness. So it's actually originally him saying the line in the first place. Mm-hmm. So when he repeats it, it's because those were already his own words. Interesting. There you go. There you now go. we're wow, talking. We're, 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 See, we're, we're off and running there. here. We're, we're yeah. already cooking with gas. We're, we're through the mirror here. So it begins, um, uh, Nicole Kidman is getting dressed. Uh, Al- Alice and Bill Hartford are a very affluent couple who live in a, a, a gorgeous Upper West Side apartment. It's, it's Christmas time, and they're getting ready to go out to a, a, a fancy holiday party. Uh, like we, you know, we, see, we see their world, uh, which again is, is of you know, very, very extreme affluence, like very, very, you know, very rich people uh, living in New York City. Then they go to the party of one of uh, Tom Cruise, the doctor, Bill Hartford's uh, patients or clients that he makes house calls to. And this is Victor Ziegler, played by the director, Sidney Pollack. Um, they go to his house on the Upper East Side that is, let's just say, I don't know how many stories are in the house, but let's just say seven and then it's on the Upper East Side and the initials J.E. are on the door. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're at a go- like a gorgeous, gorgeous mansion on the Upper East Side, and you know they say hi to uh, 
to Victor Ziegler and his wife. They're you know warmly uh, welcomed into this house, but it is immediately clear that they don't know anyone there. And uh, Alice asks him, like, do you know anyone there? And he says, no. And she says, how do we get invited to these things? And he says, uh, like, you know, this is what you get for making house calls. So he's basically only being invited to this, like, they're wealthy, but Ziegler is in another galaxy of wealth. Yes. Like, he represents real wealth and power and not their kind of, like, just on the outskirts, like, phony aspirations to wealth and power. They're at this uh, gorgeous holiday party, having a bit of champagne, and we begin to see some of... Uh, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman's performance in this movie, I would describe as like aliens trying to infiltrate humanity by pretending to be like them. Yeah. Like uh, Nicole Kidman has one glass of champagne and then is just like tore up. Yeah. Some of the finest drunk acting I've ever seen. Yeah. Kubrick would, yeah, apparently like make them do like 400 takes. I mean, it took like. 16 months to yeah it's to, one of the longest film shoots of yeah, all time and they and it was like consecutive days of shooting or whatever and i don't know i mean i have read that he kind of had a disdain for them and tried to fuck with them like to an extreme degree i think it's very clear yeah uh, like that's a fun so, that is a great way to spend your last movie yeah like, he obviously didn't know it was gonna be his last well movie, making that movie hilarious. cost cost tom cruise like Hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, the amount of movies he could have made while he was locked up on that fucking project, especially after, like, Mission Impossible. I mean, he could have been, like, Neo, probably. <laughs> yeah. He could have been fucking, like, in six different superhero movies. Not only that, but in the, the Lawrence Wright Scientology documentary, they spent those 16 months in London away from, you know, the Celebrity Center. And that was the period where David Miscavige was losing his fucking mind because, like, ne like Tom Cruise was, like, never more out of his orbit and control because, he guess what? He was being controlled by another Svengali-like <laughs> madman in the name of, by the name of Stanley Kubrick. So you see Bill and Alice Hartford at this beautiful, like, you know, uh, black tie holiday party. And they get separated from each other, and then each of them individually uh, begins to be incredibly aggressively hit upon uh, Alice, by this sort of like Hungarian count who uh, takes a drink out of her champagne glass and is just like, my dear, have you ever read Ovid on the Art of Love? <laughs> He's like a Sebastian Gorka figure. Yes. Yeah. You enjoy, Mac, you are cuisine. Yeah, he slow dances with her in the entire time. He's like, would you like to see our host, Michelle Malkin, book? <laughs> <laughs> he has a wonderful John McNaughton of an anchor baby beheading the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> Yeah, what's that line? He says, he's like, uh, you know, they say women only get married so they can do what they want with other men. It's like, who who says that? <laughs> <laughs> what is that? What, that? Yeah, what he, saying is that? <laughs> he has Believe it's from a Prager you YouTube video. Yeah, he's just the worst rich guy pickup lines. He just yeah. goes over, chugs her backwash, and is like, have you heard of the opera? I'm in it. <laughs> I was, I was okay, saying, man, cool. We were watching that scene, like, I, I like to go to fancy parties with, like, a, a huge novelty straw and, like, from across the room, snick it in uh, fancy ladies' drinks and just, just sip their champagne. I no, she, she, like, I'm, champagne. she goes, I'm sorry, I think that's my glass. And he goes, my dear, I'm absolutely certain of it. So he just, he comes on real, yeah, real, real strong. strong. Yeah. Yeah. Real strong. I'm, if I was your boyfriend, I would take you to get manicures seven <laughs> times a week. I'm what? 24 years old and a perfusionist. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's the other thing we realized early on in this it's, movie. It's nice to, it's funny to imagine that that character is not invited to the second party. <laughs> <laughs> he's just not, like, he's just not, they're like, no, that guy's a creep. <laughs> he, I, I can't come. Sure he's not. He can't come to the satanic orgy. That guy's going to be fucking weird about it. <laughs> he would have been. If he yeah. was at that party, he, he would have been talking uh, to everybody. Yeah. Right. That was the other thing. We yeah, realized. he would he would just go up to all the women in masks. I'm yeah. immortal. He wouldn't. He wouldn't stop. Short, man. He wouldn't fucking stop. It'd yeah. be like oh, you can't like invite a guy that's a cokehead to do coke. <laughs> be like, but I like it the most. <laughs> like, yeah, that's the fucking problem, man. That was the other thing. Is that early on in this movie, we realized that there are many uncanny parallels between Tom Cruise's character. And shall we say a certain uh, Texas-based perfusionist? <laughs> who's surgeon, back surgeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's young. He's like, doesn't yo, actually seem like a doctor. He's like, if you, if you my wife and daughter, we go to FBO Schwartz every day. <laughs> he, has never, he did not do any doctor shit in the entire right, movie. Right, Every time, we'll get into it more, but every time they call, someone calls Tom Cruise to do doctor shit, he ju it's just like horny women talking to him or mm. just like, it's someone who's OD'd and he's like, says their name a few times. Yeah, yeah we'll get to that. Uh, Tom Cruise, meanwhile, while his wife is being romanced by Sebastian Gorka, yeah. uh, he gets pulled aside by two sort of gorgeous uh, models and party girls who uh, begin, again, coming on to him like Real ludicrously strong. hard, like, yeah. you know, driving a truck over him, basically. And they just try to escort him upstairs and they want to take him where the rainbow ends, yeah. which will come back later in the film. But he's sort of, you know, sheepishly, he's grinning like a dickhead the whole time, you know, trying to, again, not playing it off cool at all. No, he's like, oh, boy. He's just like, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. We're going to score. <laughs> <laughs> no, this movie. Like Flounder from Animal House. I guess, like, if you take what Nick said and, like, you know, imagine there's implied, like, child trafficking, like Epstein shit. But also, I think the other thing that should be implied when you view this movie that I wish I had done before I'd seen it. Imagine that Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, their characters had never had sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Before the course. It makes of a lot more sense. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Their whole relationship and their dynamic makes way more sense. If you figure like the furthest they've ever gotten is like third base yeah. one time. They which, found their kid in a cabbage patch or something. What's interesting, too, is like, I mean, I don't think I don't know if either of them are method actors or not, but like that movie destroyed their marriage. Uh -huh. Yeah. And the scenes where they're fighting, I mean, it still seems like bad acting. Yeah. So it's you can tell like prior to that movie, they probably didn't have disputes. <laughs> <laughs> like, they don't even know how to act like they fought because they couldn't even just sit down and be like, yeah, you know, let's just do it how we normally do. God, Kubrick. Owns. They probably yeah. communicated exclusively through their assistants or something. Yeah, through pheromones. Yeah, they just the first time they ever had to communicate verbally. Leak weird chemicals and yeah, they have a uh, they hook themselves up to multimeters and read voltages to figure out what moods are. <laughs> oh, so, she's a quart low. So uh, yeah. before uh, before Tom Cruise can have a threesome. Uh, with the with these two models, uh, one of one of Ziegler's sort of uh, flunkies. Uh, flunkies is just like, um, excuse me, sir. Like uh, Mr. Ziegler has something he'd like to talk to you about upstairs, and he's like, okay, I'll, I'll see you ladies later. And he, you know, goes up this like beautifully lit stair marble staircase, and then it's just like a hard cut to a completely naked woman passed out in his like dressing room. Uh, she is OD'd. Uh, Ziegler is there, like shirtless, but still having suspenders on. Oh, he's putting there's, them on. He's putting he them on. Yeah, clearly nude. And he was nude. And there's something about him being shirtless with his tuxedo suspenders on that was like it's very disturbing. Yeah. And he gets Tom Cruise in there, and he's like, "Ah, oh, but I got a problem." You know, it's like a, a boogie nights. Like, yeah. you think you better get some uh, new shit there? Think you just got a problem? Do you, doctor? 
So he's had like a woman OD uh, on like a, a speedball. And he's like, yeah, I just need you to take care of this for me. And you begin to see, again, what Tom Cruise's character's relation to real wealth and power actually is that he's sort of not aware of. He's just like, I get to go go to cool parties because I'm a doctor, <laughs> you know. But yeah. like what he his relationship to Victor Ziegler is no different than the woman who OD, just OD'd. Right. Yes. Like he provides a service yes. for these people. Like he is a he is a tool for them to be used. And again, he uses his amazing medical skills to just kind of be like, hello, what's your name? <laughs> yeah, you all right there? Just sort of like shakes her shoulder, be like, you know, you know, puts a wet towel on her head or whatever. <laughs> it's just like and he's like, yeah, she'll probably be okay. Like most people from Columbus, Ohio, have better know more about treating someone who OD'd <laughs> than Tom Cruise's character does in this movie. Yeah, you never really figure out. I mean, I guess he's like just a general practitioner, but at one point they show him in his office and he's just looking at a woman's tits. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, yeah. okay, everything checks out. <laughs> Got two nipples. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So uh, he helps out Ziegler and he's like, he's like basically like, you know, can I get rid of her? And he's like, oh, you know, I'd keep her around for another hour. And Ziegler's like really pissed off by that. He's like, oh, fuck, really? And he's like, okay, I'll just get someone to take her home. So he's just like, you know, just taking out the trash, basically. Yeah. So uh, the party's over. Uh, they go home. And then while looking in a mirror, standing up, uh, have sex. Maybe. I mean, they, well, they, they, they kind of squeeze, grab each they, other. They, they, do, they do boob stuff. They touch. Mm -hmm. I think that's as far as you can assume they went. Yeah. They're at most getting naked and just kind of touching one another. Well, I like to imagine that the whatever that George Thorogood that's playing, they put on. <laughs> it's Chris <laughs> Isaac. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The baby yeah. did a bad, bad thing. Okay, yeah, yeah. And that would be funny if it was bad to the bone. I, just remember, <laughs> I remember bad to the bone. He's just slowly stroking your nipples. I yeah. want that old Tom Rockin. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you want to put on Bob Seeger? <laughs> We're making some night moves, baby. <laughs> so, that that night ends, uh, their day begins. And again, you see uh, Tom Cruise going about his daily routine as a fancy New York City doctor, which, as you know, Nick already mentioned, the first thing you see him do is there's just, again, in it, like a incredibly gorgeous woman in his like in his office, just and he's just checking out her tits. Yeah. And he's like, mm -hmm. mm, yep, those are nice weight. Yeah, looking good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Feeling good. She's like, am I a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I, I, I can't tell you. Uh, Nicole Kidman is at home, basically, just kind of, I don't know, being sort of like a, a housewife. She's wrapping presents for its Christmas time, uh, you know, looking after their daughter, um, you know, go about their daily routines. Uh, they come home at night, uh, wrap some packages. Tom Cruise in that scene is wearing Ugg boots, which is odd to think about because this movie came out in 1997. Again, you have to ask yourself, what did Stanley Kubrick know? Yeah. About power yeah. and the future. They were, and like, even, they were not popular back then. I'd never heard of them. Marlon Brando died in those boots. <laughs> pretty much. So, Just Uggs in a diaper, huh? <laughs> <laughs> also, his costume in Dial in a Dr. Moreau. Then we get to what is the sort of inciting incident of this film, which is one of the funniest scenes <laughs> I think ever filmed. Yeah. So it begins with Nicole Kidman goes into her medicine cabinet and hidden in a box of Band-Aids is like a dime bag of just straight shake. Mm. <laughs> just like she bought it in Washington no, that, Square no, Park. No, that's kill. If the weed is just like a green powder, <laughs> that's <laughs> fucking kill. It looks like oregano. Yes. She rolls a joint, and her and Tom Cruise proceed to enact probably the most ludicrous impression of people on weed mm. ever, ever yes. put to film. So bad that, again, like with Kubrick, I think you have to 
assume that this is intentional. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. no other explanation. Like Nick said, he was famous for doing millions of takes. Yeah. It's not like Eastwood. Eastwood does two takes maximum because he's afraid he's going to die before the movie is <laughs> yeah. produced every time. He's done so many takes, he has to have picked the one. Oh, uh, yeah. Wanted. Apparently, on, on Eyes Wide Shut, he made Tom Cruise walk through a doorway like 50 times. <laughs> that's for fucking, one shot. Oh, that's so. He's, he's just he, like, he's, he's Windy City Heat for Tom Cruise. <laughs> he's so fucking cool. Yeah. So, like, even if it was just a fuck with him, he still had to pick the scene, you know? He had to yeah. pick the, the, the take. But the idea out. is, like, the way, the way their performances feel. So mannered and like alien in a way, it's just like a, a sort of a product of the way he really like sort of deprograms and breaks them down. So that by the four hundredth take, their performance is so removed from any kind of convincingly human affect or any even like attempt at acting that what you're seeing is something kind of uncanny. Yeah, yeah. So which is which leans into the dream thing because it's like I mean you know. Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman aren't that shitty as far as acting. No, no they're not. I mean, they could probably do a much better job acting high. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, that goes throughout the entire movie. It's like, you know, he's like, this woman was murdered? You know, it's like, <laughs> there's this sleepiness to the whole thing. So uh, they're, they're both just wearing their underwear, yeah. Yeah. smoking a joint. And the, and, and they're fucking clouded. And they're, they're chewing up in their beautiful Upper West Side bedroom. And Nicole Kidman introduces the idea of like their daughters at night school. I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> their daughter that they pay attention to for a total of 15 minutes in the six days this movie takes place in. And uh, Nicole Kidman introduces the inciting incident by being like those two women at the party. Did you by any chance happen to maybe fuck them? <laughs> and Tom Cruise is just like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Yeah. I would, ne- I well, would never think about. Yeah, first there's like a Markov chain reaction between the two, where he's like, "Fuck them," and she's like, "Fuck them," and that goes on for like 45 minutes. And um, you know, Nicole Kidman's like, "Oh, you don't think any of the women who come to your office, you know, fantasize about fucking, you know, hot Doctor Hartford?" He's just like. Uh, no, I'm giving them cancer diet. <laughs> I'm telling them they're going to die. Yeah. They're not thinking about fucking. And she's like, oh, really? Why not? And he's like, because women just don't think that way. And then she like goes into like yeah. a bizarre laughing. Well, she's like, did you hear the way I just said fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's clearly the only thing I think about. And then she, you know, you look, you cannot speak, talk rationally to your wife after she's just chewed a blunt of just like, kill just like yeah. the high like the loudest of the, the loudest. loudest of the gas you could possibly smoke like she's she, on, her brain yeah. is through the stargate and then she gets she's like and then tom cruise delivers maybe one of my favorite lines in cinema history where he goes goes alice and again he's basically nude in this scene as well <laughs> and looking hairless. smooth as hell. totally hairless dude he doesn't have a single follicle be Beyond his, uh, his, the end of his fucking sideburns. No nothing. blemishes either. Yeah. There's yes. nothing, no, there's yeah. nothing like wrong with that guy's skin. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's the most Xbox 360 I've ever seen a real human being look. The best my skin looks is like that hairless chimp. <laughs> the chimp yeah, with his yeah, balls yeah, yeah, out and he's just yeah, like, yeah. stop looking at me. <laughs> That's like me peak, you know, when I'm tanned right in the middle of the summer. So my yeah my favorite line of, of this movie and maybe any movie ever made is uh, Tom Cruise uh, looks at his wife and just says, "Alice, this pot is making you aggressive." <laughs> 
and it's true. She was having a horrible pot trip off that straight kill. <laughs> I think she might have overdosed on yeah, pot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. This is for the sure. second overdose portrayed in this movie. <laughs> and then she has a laughing fit that doesn't look like a laughing fit. No. Yeah. No, it looks like she's, she's having a seizure. She starts, yeah, she starts like seizing and grabbing her stomach. <laughs> It is. It's like this movie, it's like they're trying to re- replicate every time they do something. They're replicating a human action they've read about but never actually done. Mm-hmm. Like laughing. I kind of know what that's supposed to be, but and like, I've I, never done it. See, I would Getting buy. High, same thing. I would buy that like Stanley Kubrick like never smoked weed. But oh, like, yeah. in preparation for this movie, he spent like. Mm, Tom Myers wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Kubrick like spent. Uh, probably six months reading every piece of literature and I've studying tried pot. Just got <laughs> watching Tom's set, <laughs> taking notes on what pot's like. All to produce this, this scene. interesting, interesting. Cheech, yeah, Cheech. Tom. I, Cheech appears to have a higher tolerance. We're bringing than in Tom Myers as a consultant. <laughs> <laughs> like, Cooper, Cooper spent one hundred. You mean to tell me that you've tried pot? Uh, yes, I have, Tom. <laughs> Kubrick spent a hundred million dollars on a sound set that looked like uh, colonial Boston, so they could mm. simulate Paul Revere on pot riding <laughs> through the town. So this is all like uh, all leading up to uh, Alice's confession, like in response to Tom Cruise, you know, Tom, her husband, basically saying women just aren't like men. They don't have, they don't get horny. They don't think about just fucking guys they see randomly. And she goes, "Oh, how little you know!" And then proceeds to confess to him. The stunning, earth-shattering confession that one time, like several years ago, when they were on vacation, she saw like a, a guy in a navy officer, a guy uniform. who's probably gay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a guy who's like, without question a gay man that wouldn't fuck her, and he was like, "Hey, girlfriend," <laughs> and she's like, "I want to, I want to have dinner with that guy. He seems fun." The earth-shattering revelation that one time years ago she saw a guy in a hotel lobby in an, in an, dressed as a navy officer, <laughs> maybe not even in the navy. Yes, he, and he then, was next standing next to an Indian chief. I met this man from Finland named Tom, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then she's like, "You have no idea." As soon as I saw this guy, I immediately thought about God. What's his dick like? <laughs> I thought about. I thought about fucking him. And I basically thought in one moment in my head as a little fantasy to myself, yeah, I would definitely leave my husband to get piped down by this Navy officer. She at one point talks about Tom Cruise's dicky. (laughs) Yeah. A term no human has ever used for the male phallus once. That marijuana-induced revelation and act of aggression. This is like, it's like reefer madness. Like, do not do weed. This is what will happen. Your wife will just go berserk. Just basically shatters tom cruise's psyche yeah it like it it blows him apart inside in a way that is like so profound and again they, they're playing like an you know educated married couple that has like a seven or eight year old daughter and this is literally the first time they've ever thought or broached the topic of like even just the possibility of infidelity in a can totally imaginary sense like yeah you know one time i thought about fucking another guy yeah it's like i, I wonder how much of it is derived from that Whatever that novel is. Traum novel. Yeah, that came out in fucking 1920. Yeah. 1926. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, because they had just discovered the vagina. Yeah. Five years earlier. Right. So they had no real idea of like women. Yeah. Women get horny. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? But then it's also like, I wonder what the party is in that version of. It's probably just people staying out past nine. (laughs) (laughs) So as Tom Cruise is, you know, on, on the bed. You know, by the way, 
they should definitely be smoking indica. Sativa is what's... Alice, Too late at night for that. Alice, the sativa is making you aggressive. I told you to buy that Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> we need the indica. It's a body high, not a, not, a, not, a, not a brain paranoid one. Phone rings. Tom Cruise picks it up. He's got to run out to do more doctor business. He's got to put on one of his best doctor outfits for a patient visit. You know how that, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, how that yeah, goes. No, he's got to... Yeah. No, he's the goat. He's getting his nails done. He's dancing around with his dick bouncing around in ASA shorts. So he's got to go out to see a, again, make another house call on another incredibly rich person whose like father just died at home. Again, why you would need your doctor yeah. for this, very odd. Yeah, and he, it's not like he takes the body away either. Yeah. Right. No, he, he has shows no up. He doesn't, I don't think they show up like, signing any forms Nothing. or anything. Yeah. He's like, yeah, he's dead. Which I so, already knew because yeah, he wasn't he, fucking breathing. He, he doesn't seem like a competent doctor in any of his doctor scenes. This one is he just looks at him and he's like, "Damn, so he was alive." Like today. <laughs> it, it honestly feels like he's like, "What's your name?" Like she, she's like, "I think something's wrong with my dad." And he comes over and the dad's completely naked in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "What? Are you okay?" And she's like, "He did a speedball." I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's like uh it's like John Hamm on the Thirty Rock arc when he yeah. was the dummy doctor who everyone patronized because he was so attractive. Yeah, no, it's like Tom yeah, really he, like he never pa- he never took a single class. They just passed him through because they're like, I just want a guy, a hot guy, to feel my breasts and pretend he's a doctor. That's, yeah, that's how rule. that's how he got through medical school. That's what they, the movie's actually about. It's not about elites. It's about how hot people just fucking get to do whatever they yeah. want. Yeah, like Sidney Pollard. Yeah, like There's all these hot women taking advantage of these rich people, doing their drugs, dying. Sidney Pollard would go to prison for murder if that fucking if the police showed up there he would get arrested and he's like they're her fucking drug yeah. <laughs> it's like and, and he bought him for her boom yeah. yeah yeah that's like the line repeating shit that is how his character gets through medical school mm-hmm. like i don't believe he has the competence to do it the yeah. character but just he goes through there they ask him questions he he repeats him back like this <laughs> And they just, they give him his doctor uniform. They yeah. give him his gun. I like to imagine they, Kubrick only used the takes where Tom Cruise forgot the lines. It was originally a different line, and he was just stalling. You know, they're like, do you want to go to the party? He's like, do I want to go to the party? Well, checks his hand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. So, so he gets a phone call, and like, thus begins his sort of like nighttime odyssey, yeah. like, you know, into the dream world night of New York City. So, again, he goes to the, his client's house, another incredibly wealthy family. Uh, the daughter is a very, like, sort of elegant and very attractive, slightly older uh, woman who is uh, shook up by her dad's death. And they're in the bedroom. And, like, the, the body is just, like, in the bed. Yeah. And they're right next to the dead body. Is, sh- is, shooken, is shaken up. But then, like, it becomes clear that the reason she called Tom Cruise over is because she wants to have some, like, grief sex. Yeah. And begins like sort of coming on to him in a very weird, awkward way. She tells him about how she's getting married, and he's like, "You're getting married? married? That's wonderful." And she, but like, she's clearly like not happy no. with this like you know math professor that she's engaged to, and she, they're going to move to Michigan, and she doesn't yeah. want to do that. And then she just like kisses him, and he's like, "Uh, I can't do this right now." And then her fiance comes home, who is played by Greg, uh, Greg from Dharma and, and Greg, and one of the one of the lead FBI agents on. Uh, Criminal Minds, yes, which just as a slight digression is probably the worst TV show I think I've ever seen. But we're yeah, weird to see yeah Greg show up. It's in that, that scene. bad. 
I've it's, never seen it. It's one of the most arduous and like, yeah, just formulaic. Of any genre? Of, 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 of the sort of like crime investigating shows, oh, okay. I would say. Like, and this is an especially ignominious uh, performance for him because he comes in and he is the math professor uh, fiance that she does not want to go- move to Michigan with. She wants to sleep with Tom Cruise. He is... I would argue as handsome, if not handsomer than Tom Cruise. Three feet taller and than Tom Cruise. Like, and six inches taller <laughs> than that man. How bad is his dick? Like this character, Carl, trash dick. Yeah. It has to be. It's the only yeah, thing that makes sense. Just well, he, was like also, a fish hook. he was also just using the daughter to have sex with the dad. <laughs> That's why she's sad her father died, but she's finally free to leave yeah. this prison. So this, uh, is, this is, Sorry, this is a tangent. You can probably edit no, no, this go out. For it. But you should do a PAX television episode. Like, do you remember Pax Television? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that like the Family Network? Yeah. It, it was like some station, but the shows on that were fucking great. Diagnosis Murder, that like Scott Bayo show where he was like a doctor. You remember any of those? I don't remember any of those. Oh, yeah. yeah. You should look into it for sure. Pax was great. How do we like get that? Like, is it? I don't know, man. Have, like, it's hard to find. Anything? Diagnose, have you seen Diagnosis No, I've never seen it. That's Matt. Dick Van Dyke. It's Dick Van Dyke and then his real life son, and he plays the chief of staff at a hospital or chief of medicine at a hospital, rather. And... uh then he solves murders that happen in the hospital as a doctor. <laughs> so it's, like, it's Quincy Emmy, but like in a hospital. Yeah, it's just like, you know, just bullshit where they take something like a regular procedural or whatever medical show and then they add like a spin to it. Uh, okay, so Tom Cruise uh, leaves that house. He leaves uh, the horned up grieving daughter with her, you know, limp dick uh, math professor boyfriend and, you know, uh, begins walking the streets of like, I, I guess it's supposed to be like Greenwich Village or something angry and like you know hitting his fist into his palm because he's like, so mad oh he's so that again I, really? I just i need to that stress again time? i need to stress again he is insanely broken up about his wife saying that she thought about fucking a guy yeah. one time mm-hmm. and didn't do anything about it uh then he's accosted by a group of guys that like look to be like sort of archie jughead reggie and moose <laughs> out on the town from riverdale and they're like <laughs> Look at this switch hitter coming up. Nice jacket, nice overcoat, faggot. Yeah. <laughs> like I I this was maybe the most puzzling scene in the entire movie because it's like, yeah, no, like groups of young men can be like aggressive for like anyone can be like aggressive and drunk for no reason, but it's like it, they're bullying him because he's wearing an overcoat. Just yeah. the ga- that's the gayest winter wear. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, I'm fairly certain that they were going off to fuck each other because the way they went to that instantly, one of them even turned around and pointed at his ass and was like, you want this? You want to fuck my ass? Well, they don't identify anything about him that makes him gay. Yeah. They were just like, ooh, look at fucking Captain Faggot over here. <laughs> look at this uh, really handsome man over here. I bet he'd love to caress me. Yeah, I and bet he's he'd like love a, to fuck me sometime. He's like a 37-year-old guy. I mean, it's not like... <laughs> and they're presumably in their, like, mid 20s it's like this is never this has never happened so he gets across he's feeling emasculated by his wife confessing one fantasy that she had then archie and jughead uh gay bash him on the street yes. emasculate him further yeah not good and he gets to the point where uh, he's sitting on a corner and again just like in the weird bygone dream era of 1997 new york and i should underscore the other like uncanny sort of dreamlike part of this movie is that other than a few second unit shots of like taxis driving in New York City, all of the nighttime and daytime outdoor shots in this movie of streets are total facsimile recreations of New York that was done on a soundstage in yeah. London, like a gigantic 
like air ha- like airplane hangar soundstage where it was just like every little detail from like the little New York lottery stickers on the kiosks to the names of the stores are all a fabrication. They're all invented. It creates this weird like ersatz reality. Um, I don't know, man. IMDb trivia told me that they actually filmed that at the New York New York Casino in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, to make, to make Tom Cruise look taller. I'm actually 37 feet tall. <laughs> so again, in this weird dream world version of Manhattan, he's just waiting for like a stoplight to change and is immediately propositioned by a lady of the night. Yes. And it doesn't look like Manhattan at all. It looks a little bit like fucking... Uh, uh, like McDougal Street in yeah. the West Village. Yeah. Maybe a little bit like that. But it's like nobody who lives in New York is hanging out on fucking like St. Mark's every night. So he's he's feeling so emasculated that he decides to kind of like reclaim his manhood by immediately just saying yes to a woman who's like, do you want to have a good time? Have a good time? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I live right here. He's like, you live right here. <laughs> okay. They go in her house and uh, he's like, I guess we should talk about money she's like sure how does 150 sound then he's like what do i get for a hundred and fifty dollars it's like no yeah no this backs up my theory on the movie like he legitimately does not know what she's selling no the best but yeah so so she's like uh we should talk about money and 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 she says well it depends on on what you do and she he says what do you recommend <laughs> yeah uh he's like um can i interest the gentleman in the pussy this yeah. evening <laughs> well it's funny it's because his read on the situation in the beginning of the movie with his wife where he's like you know guys want to fuck and women just wants like stability and commitment is like completely reversed he just wants stability and commitment. he doesn't yeah yeah he doesn't want to fuck he doesn't want to fuck anybody he doesn't even want to fuck his wife yeah he just wants to like have his dumb family and go to these parties. And You're right. That, I mean, yeah, no, he behaves in the exact opposite uh, yeah, way of his like she, bullshit Evo psych reasoning. Right, for, like, yeah, why she's men. a whore. <laughs> like, she, yeah, should, yeah. she should just be able to be a whore and he should be able to find a man to get married to. <laughs> He's like, whenever he tells Sidney Pollock, like that was a wonderful party last night. He really means it. Mm-hmm. He had a great time. He loved meeting like another doctor or like a lawyer or a guy who works at the art museum. Yeah, the way he he's like he's like I went to medical school with that guy, which is it's medical school, you know. I'm sure you had friends, but it's not like we're, yeah, you were partying all yeah, the time. Not, yeah, you were partying. This wasn't a guy you grew up with. <laughs> yeah, it's like I went to a professional postgraduate school for a while, a little bit with this dude who left, and he's like. Nick Cunningham, you son of a bitch. And then, like, boys, and he's like, hey, I do shitty piano with this dive bar. And he's like, I will be there for sure. <laughs> like, while he makes time for it while going to watch his patients die. He's like, I should check in on that guy, Nick. I, I haven't thought of it all yeah. until I saw him the other day. Did he love, this is why it's such an alien character. He loves social engagement. <laughs> like, he just, anytime there's an obligation, he will be there. Meanwhile, half of the Upper East Side is dying in his waiting room. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he's with um, uh, this woman in her apartment and she like begins to, you know, undress and and, and be sexy. And again, he's like still he still has his leather gloves and overcoat on. He's like hugging himself out of fear and apprehension. But he's saved by the bell from a phone call from back home. It's Nicole Kidman calling on his cell phone and just saying, Hey, honey, just want to like checking in here. Are you going to be home later tonight? And he's like, it's really hard for me to talk and get away right now. I'm looking at a dead body. 
I've been doing mouth to mouth for the last three hours. <laughs> I've been going to different women's apartments, looking at their dead dads, and going, "That's crazy." <laughs> oh, Felix, you brought up that uh, the the daughter character who comes on to him is the character who's like, "My dad just died. Could you like fuck me?" <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Groundbreaking character. Yeah, yeah. Cooper really is a genius. He, yeah, he anticipated all of this. Yeah. yeah. So. For some reason, talking to his wife on the phone uh, puts him out of the mood. And he's like, look, I, I got to go, but I still want to pay you. You know, he respects sex workers. He paid her for a time. He's not going to waste her time. Mm-hmm. He gives her the money, heads back out onto the street, into the night. Can I, can I admit something? Yeah. I like went to the bathroom during that part. <laughs> and when I came back, I thought the implication was like that he just fucked her really good. <laughs> she refused payment. <laughs> she was, like, attention. And I was like, damn, I guess he is like pretty good at piping. No, he does, does, does no. nothing of okay, the sort. Yeah. No, not- I, I read the Wikipedia later on. Okay, because good. when I, I talked about it, you guys were like, "No, he didn't fuck her." <laughs> so then uh, he's back out on the streets at night, and then lo and behold, what is it? He he's walking past the Sonata Club, in which you know we should say earlier one of the people he meets at the Christmas party in the beginning, his med school friend Nick Nightingale, mm-hmm. who tells him he's like, "I'm I'm a jazz man, and I've been playing at this club." <laughs> yeah, I left medical school, incurred all the debt. <laughs> Left yeah. medical school so I can leave my family in Seattle to play piano for pedophiles in New York. <laughs> so he goes into this uh, this dive bar, and, and by this point, another another thing I'd like to note about this movie is it, it's a Christmas movie, and there are n- no fewer than a dozen separate individual instances of Christmas trees and, and lights too. And Christmas lights in the interiors of this movie. So uh, he, he goes into this dive bar to see the, the jazz man play. And he says hello to his friend, uh, Nick Nightingale, the jazz musician, who, again, they have a totally weird, stilted friendship and relationship with one another. And they're like, how, how you been, you old bastard? Real good. What are you up to? And he's like, oh, I got another gig later tonight. But get this. It's so crazy. Like, they don't even tell me what the address is. And I play the piano blindfolded. And he's like, this I got to hear more about. Which it it like in the real world that would suck. Yeah, there's no way you would be like, I got it. This has got to be great. It's probably Dan Ninen is also performing at that event. <laughs> <laughs> it's a corporate gig. Yeah, they just they think it would be funny if the guy can't see. They think that's what makes a piano player good. Is if he's blind. Ray Charles. Yeah. <laughs> um. So uh, he while he's there at the table, he gets a phone call and writes down Fidelio on a cocktail napkin. And Tom Cruise is just like, one of these is like, yeah, one time like the blindfold came off a little bit. And he's like, let me tell you something, Bill. I have seen a thing or two in my life, but nothing. And I mean nothing compares to what I saw doing this gig. And the women, yowza, like you would not believe. And Tom Cruise, of course, is now like, he's, you know, he's on a mission yeah. To, to, lay, to get to get laid right. tonight. He's yeah. just got to reclaim power from his wife for, yeah, again, yeah. smoking weed and telling Nightingale, him. Nightingale, let me tell you, I've blown it six times in the last 23 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> you got to get me in on this he's like, Yeah, he's like, you got to do it. You got to tell me where the address is. And he goes, well, the problem is, like, you're, you're not dressed appropriately. You need, he just like, shows up dressed like Trudeau in that Arabian <laughs> He's like, what, Fidelio? Fidelio? <laughs> All they said was a costume. <laughs> so uh, his friend Nick Nightingale hooks him up. But, you know, he's still on the mission. He's got to get a costume at 1 o'clock in the morning in the middle of Manhattan. Greatest city in the world, baby. Costumes oh, anytime you need them. Only in New York could you get a costume at 1 in the morning to go to a, a weird secret party. 
So then there's another really long scene where he goes to a costume shop called like Rainbow Costumes. And like there is a rainbow on the storefront. You'll remember what the two models who tried to pick him up earlier in the movie yes. made reference to. Mm-hmm. So then he, uh, he is, is sort of let in and negotiates with this sort of like uh, sleazy costume shop owner played by uh, the actor Raid Sherbega, who you may know is like a guy playing Russian in yeah. millions of movies you've seen. Just, He's, is he the, the dad in John Wick? Yes. No, 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 no. That, that's the guy from Girl with the Dragon oh, Tattoo. Oh, no, yeah, the he, first one, though. No. He's the dude from, like, Snatch. And yeah, he was in Snatch. He was, like, the arm... Blade. Yeah, Boris the Blade. No, he, yeah, the arm He was dealer. also yeah. uh, the Putin figure in The Saint. Yeah. With Val Kilmer. Anybody Man, that movie's it? awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that, the, the final, the, that movie hinges, the, the plot hinges at the end of the movie on a light bulb coming on because it's about, it's about fusion or something and, like, uh-huh. finding fusion technology. And so there's... A scene where, like, are they going to get the light bulb on? And this entire square full of people staring at a light bulb, and then it goes on, and then like the the music goes up, and it's like it worked. Be on the lookout for the uh, the Saint episode coming soon. So he negotiates with this sleazy costume store owner, and he's like, "I'll pay you two hundred dollars above you know price for your inconvenience." And like they go into the the, the costume basement of of this store, and he's like, "Oh, sir, like I'll help you up, blah blah blah." Then it becomes clear that like in the back room. There's like thumping going on and he goes in there and, and immediately finds his teenage daughter and like two Asian businessmen who are dressed as women doing some like weird sex stuff. Mm-hmm. And he like, you know, blows up at them. They're doing the next season of SNL. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's like, oh, you whore and like locks him in the room. and He's like, I'm going to call the cops or whatever. And uh, all very weird. Tom Cruise is like, could I could I just get my costume and leave? Like, this is very odd. He gets the costume. He gets the tux. He takes a cab out to the secret location of the secret party. Now, when he pulls up to this like gigantic mansion, what was the name of the estate? It was like Summerton. Summerton. And you and you said that if yeah, because Google, I googled it because I don't know the last watch through, I was like, all right, well, what? Because it's such like obviously. I mean, it feels like the sign is designed so shittily that you like it's deliberately put there because it, you they want to draw attention to the fact that this is a fake sign and not just like what that house happens to be named. Yeah, but if you Google Summerton, I guess you get like a, a couple of things. But I did find some like article from like the late eighteen hundreds where there was a town called Summerton and there was like a house with a bunch of children's bodies. Found in the walls. That's just every English person's <laughs> house, though. Make of, make of that what you will. Yeah. But he, he gives he gives the password, Fidelio, and is is let into, you know, they drive him up to the to the big house. And it's this, like, insane mansion. And there is, like, every limo parked in the driveway. Now, keep in mind, this is Christmas time. It's a Christmas movie. It takes place in the Christmas universe, which means Eyes Wide Shut and Die Hard take place in the same cinematic universe. In one of those limos was Argyle. <laughs> yes. Waiting for one of his clients to come out and he's listening to Run DMC and talking to girls on the phone next to a gigantic teddy bear. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's happening. And then at one point, Carl Winslow pulls up to the driveway, takes a look around. He's like, man, they're not doing shit here. I'm, gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a Twinkie. Fuck this. So then he, this is really like the centerpiece of the movie. This is, this, this is what everybody thinks about when they think about Eyes Wide Shut. He gets on his costume and cape walks into the mansion and begins to see what is, in all honesty, probably like the lamest orgy ever conceived of. It's some real sex nerd shit. Right. Obviously, like, there are limitations to what they could show, but 
I choose to believe that there's no symbolism or implied meaning here, and it's just that billionaires get together to watch girl on girl. Yeah, very mild touch girl boobs. Girl. Yeah, so it's and like do I'm, really elaborate rituals for no so, reason. Yeah, like and the the, the 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 famous it's like a Romanian chant being played backwards, while a guy who's like the leader in a red cloak is like standing in the middle of a circle, surrounded by uh, like ten robed masked women and then like when he hits his scepter they like disrobe and they're naked and they kneel in front of him and he has like a, a sensor a sensor of incense going around and it's this like weird ritual and we were like and then they're all surrounded by other people in cloaks and masks watching this and like we were joking like there has to be at least one guy there who's just like horny and he's like uh uh, what can we fuck? Yeah, like, what's, the, what's going on? They here? don't like, like they, well, like the ritual part. Like that's what the al- the richest guy does, and that's like the billionaire version of Cards Against Humanity. Like they just want to chill. They just want to fucking chill. And this guy's like making them play this game because yeah. it's epic. No, <laughs> can't he's say got, no to Lloyd Blake. He's got fine. the best prostitutes. He's got the b- best house for orgies. But he's also the biggest dork and insists, no, man, this is going to be cool. We're going to do the thing with the incense and the chanting. Oh, God damn it. I just want to fuck. We were laughing about the idea. Oh, my God. We were laughing about the idea of, like, there's just one rich guy in that crowd who's just some, like, fucking dipshit from Ohio who got a mesothelioma <laughs> settlement. <laughs> he just has a Thanos flat brim, no mask. He's like, damn, damn, is Lisa Ann in this bitch? <laughs> Nick, you said one of them was wearing, would be wearing the scream mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I like to admit, like Tom Cruise gets there and he's like, "Again, I am going to have sex to prove to my wife that I can." Yeah, and he gets there and there's all these like you know gorgeous like naked women. And then, like, they're all just standing around looking at him, and he just starts jacking off. And everyone's just like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> he's like, what? What? Yeah, yeah, he just immediately makes a beeline to his friend at the piano and be like, huh, cool party, man, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I mean, I'm going to go talk to girls in a second. How are you doing? Remember college? <laughs> dude, remember our, yeah, remember when we would have, like, land parties in college? I was, no, yeah, I talked to girls. <laughs> I'll go talk to one of them in a second here. So I'm just, my mask is I'm I'm like my I you know my mask just doesn't feel good so. <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other funny hours. thing to think about is he's just like blowing it all the way off. <laughs> That's how they caught him. They're like, was it the password? They're like, no, you're just so bad at fucking. <laughs> you're like, you just did. You have a mask on. You're at an orgy, a satanic orgy, and you still didn't seal the deal with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> the one woman you isolated warned you to leave. Yeah, yeah. You're so bad at fucking. Bill, you gotta get out of here. Yeah. Everyone's making fun of you for being a loser. <laughs> <laughs> The other really funny thing that we were thinking about, like, during this scene, again, this movie was released in 1997, and this is, like, you know, one of these, like, Stanley Kubrick moments, like, of of interior shots that form a kind of, like, liminal space, like a kind of a a weird hyper-reality of, like, his symmetrical shots, like, think, you know, the bathroom in the Overlook Hotel, the white room at the end of 2001, things like that. It's a very uncanny sense, uh, like I said. But then you imagine, like, okay, this is the height of like ultra ultra elite power and decadence and then you start to think like who are the people behind the masks and it's like 1997 it's just like all three of the pep boys mm-hmm. Dave Thomas of Wendy's Orville Redenbach <laughs> yeah. J.D. Power all his associates <laughs> yeah. the guy who invented the Tamagotchi 
<laughs> the slap bracelet. <laughs> the guy who invented the bookmark yeah. feature on Netscape. Uh, Doug from Nickelodeon. <laughs> Clippy is there in the mask. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Tom Cruise begins to wander around the orgy, which he see, in which he sees sights again more depraved than you can possibly imagine, which include women rubbing each other's rib cages, Whoa. squeezing each other's breasts very lightly, perverted. Like it's just, and it's like all like a couple people having sex, but like uh, they, uh, they, but they censored it to get sitting around, touching each other, going down on one another while wearing the masks. That yeah. was the only thing well, I realized. My, the, my favorite thing from the whole party is that scene where they're it's very brief. It's when they've like already caught him and they're escorting him out. Is just the guy dancing with a naked man, <laughs> like slow dancing with him. He's yeah. not doing because they can't show anything sexual. They can show guys like fucking girls or whatever, but even that's like like as far as we'll go with homosexuality is whole. Be casually slow dancing with a nude man <laughs> while fully dressed himself. <laughs> the, just the depths of perversion. I mean, that was the other thing. Everyone at the party is wearing a full Renaissance mask, including uh, the escorts, like the the, you yeah. know, the women who are part of this sex ritual, which means absolutely no top at all. Nobody is getting nope. neck at this party. Nope. Not, n- none of that going on. But, but they show just, someone going down Yeah, you saw, see a guy eating pussy with a mask on. I That's just, just he's nuzzling a woman's crotch nuzzling. with a mat with it's, a Halloween yeah. mask. Yeah. Oh, also, um, Jim Varney Ernest is also at the party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ace Ventura, <laughs> the most respected law enforcement figure in the country. <laughs> Ernest, fuck, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, all righty then. <laughs> Ernest goes to Little St. James. <laughs> Vern, what the hell? I don't want to fuck a boy, Vern. <laughs> so eventually, like, again, uh, a, a woman, uh, you know, like, like sort of zeroes in on him and says, like, you know, you're in danger. You have to leave. Like, they, you know, like, you, you know, you're not supposed to be here. And he's like, I'm not supposed to be here. Um, and then, you know, like the jig is he's up. Like, he's like, what do you mean I'm not supposed to be here? She's like, I'm sorry, wrong guy. <laughs> Get back in there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking like a champ. <laughs> so uh, the, the jig is up and he gets like, you know, brought back to like the, the, the center room and surrounded by a group and confronted by the man in red who's just like, you had the password, but do you know the second password and he's just like uh, bah, 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 uh, bah. and at this moment we realize like Felix like your lion guy character could like get out of this situation he easily would, he would be running that party by yeah. the end of it he He'd would be, like, be sitting in the yeah, throne I bet you don't know the password and that's why you're asking me <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> you know like, everyone this guy's a fucking pussy he's nothing without that red ass outfit <laughs> let's Thinks all he's better than us because he's got a chair let's all fuck him <laughs> yeah. then you'd be like Fuck this stupid music and put out some fucking stain. Mm-hmm. Just be like, whatever, dude. I'm here with the fucking band. You guys are lame. I'm friends with the band. So <laughs> that's how I got here. I don't know how we, well, you made money. You had to buy your way in. I'm a fucking rock and roll star's friend. <laughs> My friend, okay. Nick band- Nightingale, I- motherfucker. <laughs> I follow Nick Nightingale on tour, dude. We went to fucking, we were boys from medical school. <laughs> We used to study pussies together. <laughs> we saw we saw a top flight dead bitch up in the examination room. We cut him up, dude. That's how we learned how to fuck. He's just going off. They're all just silent. And then they're yeah, all like, just, all, just yeah. every member of the council and foreign relations just staring at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yo, we we would just go 
one hole, the other hole. You know, you know what I'm saying. Me and Nick and then, Nightingale, he was learning how to play piano. We followed Prodigy on tour all the way through Scotland, and I got so fucked up off ketamine, I forgot what my middle name was. And like behind the mask, Henry Kissinger is like very interesting. Dershowitz <laughs> okay. is like, can we rape him now? <laughs> can we rape this guy? I brought my nephew. My nephew Mortimer's here to, to do his first rape. <laughs> Not now, Alan. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. He hasn't said the password yet. <laughs> so uh, he gets called out and like an idiot. Like he just chokes up and like, again, never admit wrongdoing in a situation like that. Double down always. Mm-hmm. Just accuse them of, you know. Right. Everyone doing, else yeah. is always the real drug exactly. addict. And then like. And then, like, the, the woman who warned him, like, appears at the top of a staircase and is like, no, take me. I assume responsibility. And they're like, okay, all right, you can go. So he goes home, back in his apartment after his, you know, night of absolutely striking out over yeah, and over just again. blowing it. <laughs> just fucking blowing it. Never even really coming close. He comes back to the apartment, uh, he, you know, goes to the bedroom after, like, you know, hiding his, his you know, cape outfit in his office. Uh, you know, Alice, Nicole Kidman is in bed. Uh, again, having a laughing fit still, like having a dream that's causing her to laugh. Eight hours later, like she is still I gotta chuming get that pack. strong. <laughs> that stuff is fire. I need that. <laughs> I need to just destroy my brain. She's having such an intense dream that she wakes herself up from laughing and then proceeds to confess her dream to Tom Cruise because he's like, think how tired he must be. And then you have to listen to someone tell you a dream they had. Oh, those are great. And the dream is basically like a reflection of the party he just went to. She was like, I dreamt that I was like naked, surrounded by people and they were laughing at me. And then the Navy guy fucked me and like I was laughing at you. That was fucking a bunch of guys. Yeah. So it's like, an eerie reflection of the experience she just had, you know, in her dream. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, back to the, the Somerton mansion. This is like a news clipping that Nick found here. Ghastly discovery at Somerton. Four babies' bodies found in attic. The discovery of the remains of four babies in an attic at Somerton has created a great sensation in that normally quiet town. Discovery was made in a house known as The Green, now unoccupied, but lately in the possession of Mr. Thomas Welch, deceased. I mean... And so- all of, all of what's-his-name's house is green. He's got a green bathroom. The billiards room is all green. What, in this movie? Yeah, the uh, uh, Ziegler's character. The billiards room is red. Well, the lights are green. Oh, okay. Everything's red and green because it's Christmas. That's, oh, there you and go. These are babies are dead. <laughs> Jesus was a baby. He's also dead. So he's, he was both of those things in the story. And you know what? Jesus also is Jewish. You know yeah. Ziegler's character is Jewish. He's big time. Yeah. Actually, you bring that up. The, 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 the interesting thing about the, the Tom Cruise being like, Ziegler, I got to ask you, a fucking Christmas party? <laughs> Don't ask questions, Bill. All right, let's cut the shit. The interesting thing about that, the Ziegler character is played by Sidney Pollack, when they started filming, it was originally Harvey Keitel. Yeah, it was originally dro- Sidney Poitier. <laughs> <laughs> no, even better, Nick. See, everybody's got a little murder. They do something. <laughs> even better than that. When Kubrick was writing the screenplay, and I think this underscores that the movie is really best understood as a comedy, uh-huh. the person he originally wanted to play Ziegler was Woody Allen. 
Really? Think about how different oh that movie would be. Yeah, how, how different that movie would be if Woody Allen was in that role. Yeah, it would have I been mean, a madcap comedy. <laughs> yeah. How prescient he is that he like attributed that article in uh, from like the the woman dying to the guy that would cover not only his own death but then the death of Epstein and the death of our, uh, Robert F Kennedy, no, John F Kennedy Jr. Yeah. So Nicole Kidman tells him the dream. Okay, then then like day two starts, and in day two it's like the sort of dream reality is gone, and he retraces his steps from the night before, uh, beginning like he shows up at the jazz club at seven in the morning and is like frustrated to find that it's closed. He's like, "Oh damn! I thought Nick Nightingale would be here." I'm trying to get some morning jazz. <laughs> And he just needs some jazz. Yeah, he's just standing in front of the jazz club telling people passing by, I know Nick Nightingale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude, I'm here with the fucking band. <laughs> Pussy. He goes We're to those the- guys from the other night. I've been up all night doing pot, and I'm ready to fight them now. <laughs> Dude, Bro, I almost got himself. pussy like nine times. So if you want to call me a faggot again, we'll see what happens. <laughs> he gets, and then he goes to the diner next door, and from the waitress gets the hotel that Nick Nightingale's staying at for some odd reason. Yeah. Then he goes to the hotel, and we see a, a cameo from Alan Cumming as the hotel clerk, which is interesting because this one performance stands out against everything else in the movie, and I think. It's one of those like Verhoeven-esque kind of things where like Alan Cumming was the only person in this movie in on the joke. Yeah. And like he's the only one who has any kind of like weird sort of comic affectation. Who doesn't sound like a fucking zombie. Yeah. What it, what it looks like is like, you know, Kubrick's like, hey, do you want to do this, this scene? I've been destroying Tom Cruise and what's her name's life. <laughs> and he was like, he's like, that's hilarious. <laughs> and then he probably worked one day and then got the fucking lead. Yeah, no, he did. He did all the oncoming stuff in one take. I was like, "Yeah, you're done, buddy." Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the hotel clerk says, uh, "You know, Nick Nightingale. He came back at like five in the morning, being escorted by two very large men, big guys, big guys, two bad hombres, and you know, was bruised up, and like they shuffled him out of the hotel, and uh, he tried to pass uh, him a note, but it was intercepted by the uh, the goons. So." He's still feeling pretty weird. He goes back there. He turns to the costume shop. The, the outfit. The the businessmen and the teenage girl, like you know, are coming out. They're like, "Bye, see you soon." Clearly, didn't call the cops, and then proceeds to basically offer his daughter to Tom Cruise. Yeah, he's very like, very blatantly. He's like, "Yeah, if you need anything else, don't be afraid to ask." As he grasps his like sixteen year old daughter, and is like, it, "It needn't be a costume." Yeah, yeah, that's definitely the part where you wonder if this is trying to say something. That the text can't do to mores and whatnot. Like, yeah, this is how far. This is more in the direction of what this really means. It's not just having boring boob touching uh, orgies with uh, consenting adults. It goes deeper and more perverted than that. And also, another thing I'd uh, like to note is that, like, periodically throughout the movie, Tom Cruise is just in the back of a cab or driving a car, like doing the tip, very, very like the Tom Cruise intense look. And then, it'll, like, the the film will will cut to his fantasy of the Navy guy fucking his wife yeah, and just getting about it. angrier and angrier. Every, literally every time he enters a car, he thinks about a chief petty officer <laughs> just banging his wife. <laughs> he thinks about Steven Seagal just, from under yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be funny. Yeah, it'd be funny to, to, yeah, now, yeah. This, now this pussy needs some more booyah boss. <laughs> <laughs> to just edit in like somehow just superimpose Popeye having sex with his wife <laughs> and then just cutting back to him losing it in the fucking back of that cab. You know he's he, okay. Sorry, he's he's mad. He's still mad at Alice. So he calls the woman whose father died 
hoping to like you know do a booty call, but the math professor picks up and he just hangs up the phone. So then he goes to the prostitute. Jonathan side. Jonathan Cuckstein here. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, hello. He, he, uh, <laughs> he's still he's still just he he, wa- he needs to get like even the scoreboard again for his wife's non affair with this guy. He goes back to the, pr- the 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 woman he met on the streets house. Uh, knocks on the door. Her roommate buzzes his buzzes him in. And lets him inside, and like he immediately, like he, he's not nervous. He like he comes onto her straight away, starts undoing her, you know, blouse, and is like, "Well, you know, if Domino isn't here, I'm, you'll you'll yeah. you'll do fine." Um, and she's like, "Okay, maybe you you know you were with Domino last night. Maybe you should sit down. Maybe I need to tell you something." He's like, <laughs> "All right, what's it gonna be? It's gonna be good." Yeah, he's like he. Like the way she braces him for the line, it's like it couldn't be anything than what yeah, she was telling no him. But he's good. like, "Oh, is she gonna? She's gonna tell me that she told her that I'm probably good at sex, yeah. even though she had no way of finding out." She's gonna tell me. Yeah, I, I, she knows I already paid. So this is gonna be free. <laughs> she's <laughs> gonna say he had the firmest handshake I've ever yeah. felt. I've got, I, want you, I, I think we should sit down. I need to tell you, Domino said that you were nice. <laughs> like, like, what does he think is going to happen? I need you to sit down. Do you see that giant birthday present over in the corner? Guess what? <laughs> Domino pops out. She's like, I did it for you, Dr. Bill. You're the nicest what if client she's ever. Like, I got to tell you something. Domino fucked that Navy lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> His name was Casey Ryback. <laughs> Damn it! I've been promoted from cook, Doctor Bill. This guy every time he goes back to the orgy, and he's that guy's in the orgy. He's like, he's here too. <laughs> They're like, yes, it's the it's the no no Doctor Bill's club, and his name is also Doctor Bill. Everyone, we're, li- everyone, we're allowed to have one. <laughs> everyone likes my New Orleans style Cajun cooking, especially everyone in Manhattan's wife. Yeah. Your family hates you, Dr. Bill. <laughs> they do. They, do. they really no. do. So the actual revelation, she's like, you're going to want to sit down for this. He's like, boy, boy. He's like rubbing his hands together, licking his chops, eyes bulging out of his head. She goes, yeah, uh, Domino got a blood test back last night and she's HIV positive. Yeah. And he's like, Ooh. Yeah. and again, remember when his wife called him saved, saved by the bell? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he was. Got so angry at his wife that he went out and very nearly uh, got HIV from a lady of the night. Yeah. Uh, so, so he's fucked up about that. Act like a lady, think like a man. Yeah. That's what that is. He's uh, feeling pretty bad about that. Again, walks around again at night. Uh, and then in a very creepy scene, begins to realize he's being followed by mm-hmm. a large bald man. I would love to see Steve Harvey review Eyes Wide Shut. <laughs> <laughs> but he keeps saying, we had a man right in. And he doesn't understand the concept of a movie. <laughs> he thinks it's a letter that Tom Cruise wrote to the show. And he's like, if your woman is dreaming about other men, maybe you ain't doing take her to dinner or something. I don't know. Maybe it's time for a spa weekend. You know, I you're going to go Whatever. out there and get AIDS and look foolish. <laughs> well, I mean, if it was Steve Harley, he would absolutely blame it on the wife. No, for, yeah. For being trifling. Yeah. Yeah. Does he? I think he his standard routine. Well, I think oh, yeah. I think like old period Steve Harvey would, but like the new mainstream yeah. Steve Harvey would be like. I don't think he would. Yeah, Steve Harvey would be like, you're just not doing enough for your woman. But like, 
he doesn't speak in the language of any possibility of sexual inadequacy. It means like you got to hold the door for more often. Yeah. It's like you're not doing enough in the manners department, and that's what you would be responsive to. So uh, while he's being tailed by a, an intimidating bald man, mm-hmm. he uh, buys a copy of the New York Post and uh, randomly finds you know you know right next to Dagwood and the Family Circus. He he goes straight for that. Right, he's looking. He's looking at Garfield. He, and he's like, Mo- he hates Mondays. <laughs> That's his least favorite day of the week. Mm-hmm. Marmaduke. <laughs> He's just looking at Mark Trail. And Mark Trail's <laughs> like, look, it's a beaver. They make a house out of the environment, too. And he's like, ha, <laughs> <laughs> They're like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't understand comedy. <laughs> and then he finds a, an article in the post about, you know, ex-beauty queen overdoses in hotel. Yeah. And he's like, could it be maybe the woman from last night? Then he uses his uh, his medical badge. He's like, I'm an officer of medicine. Please yeah. let me in this. He w- can do anything. Like, he literally <laughs> finds out when Nick Nightingale is going to work by going to a restaurant next to the jazz club and going up to the woman who works at the cafe and going, I'm a doctor. When does Nick Nightingale get in? And she tells him. Oh, and he, oh, actually, he tries to bluff her by saying, I have some test results that I think he'd want to know about immediately. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So then he, he goes to a hospital and they're like, yeah, uh, she died. And he's like, can I see the body? And he goes to the morgue and they pull out the slab of this woman. And he's just like stares at her tits for like at least just a minute. Beating off in there. <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I went to this weird party last night. So I'm in the music industry. Yeah. Do you know Nick Nightingale? He yeah, take- I'm actually boys with him. <laughs> what are you just, doing? <laughs> he just puts he just puts his phone in the in the corpse's hand and sets it up on the other side of the room and starts dancing and posts the video and says, <laughs> "Surgery room, it's lit." <laughs> <laughs> but I'm big single though. So as he's leaving the hospital, he gets a phone call from Ziegler, who is a uh, little known fact the father of uh, White House uh, speechwriter Toby Ziegler. In the West Wing. These all take place in the yeah. same universe. And they, um, they, they, it's part of the larger Max Payne universe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then he goes to Ziegler's house. And, you know, what is really the kind of the climate? Toby giving one of those impassioned fucking speeches about how she wasn't a, a whore. She was a sex worker. It's not it's not a speedball. It's heroin and cocaine. Speedballs are what you call it if you don't have any respect for the art of drug use. <laughs> this isn't the 1920s. It's not a jazz club. These people love drugs. <laughs> they care about drugs. I care about drugs. So, and what is really the climax of the movie, he's confronted by a Ziegler in his, like, beautifully appointed pool room. Mm. And this is another one of these, like, Stanley Kubrick interiors that take on a kind of, like, mythic unreality. And Ziegler's like, listen... I know what happened last night. I was at the party. I, I you saw you. Last night. <laughs> you, know, you. You looked like a huge asshole in front of everyone. <laughs> and this is like the real, this is like the moment of the movie that's like the real like Epstein stuff. Right. Is when Ziegler like basically like Tom Cruise finally realizes in that moment his class position as it relates to Ziegler's character that like he is as disposable to him as any of the women or the woman who overdosed. And then he tells him that like the woman who overdosed at the Christmas party is the one who died last night. And he basically just said, there's nothing that happened to her at that party that hadn't happened a million times before. She got her brains fucked out. And the fact that she died, it would have happened one way or another anyway. Like, she's a drug addict. Who cares? Yeah. What, she, what happened after you left is what happened before. Someone touched her boob. <laughs> What makes that, what makes that the mask against her other boob. What makes that character <laughs> so intimidating is because it's like, 
you know, he has all this power, so he doesn't even there's he doesn't feel threatened by Tom Cruise at all. Yeah, no, so yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It would be a hassle to kill him, but he would do it. You know, they would have him killed. So he's just like, look, man, just drop it. You know, it's like that's he doesn't need to be like a mafia guy that's like, listen, we're gonna break your fucking leg. You know, yeah, there's no need. Right. For that. No, he, he says like, you know, uh, like look, like it doesn't matter. He's like, you know, hey, like life goes on. You know that, buddy. Yeah. Until it doesn't. And then he claps him on the shoulder and it sends him on his way. And it's like, really, like that, like that scene is a real climax in the movie. And it's very, very underplayed, but it's incredibly chilling. Like it's as, it's as frightening as like it's as, yeah, anything it's, that Kubrick has done. It's as chilling as like, yeah, the cameras outside Epstein's cell just weren't working. Sometimes cameras don't work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody was sleeping. Yeah. The guards were new. The cameras weren't working. They took them off suicide watch. What more do you want? These things happen all the time. And there's just nothing you can do. About yeah, it. right. And that's sometimes Tom- highway bones break uh, during suicide. It happens yeah. once in a while. It's not impossible. Mm-hmm. And like that's when Tom Cruise really realizes that like all of this stuff, like his his sort of flirtation with true wealth and power, like he realizes that like he is an ant to these people. Like he like he doesn't. He's matter. an like, Anthony Cumia to those people. <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they yeah, see him he, as he went to that party and tried to do his Andrew Dice Clay impression, yeah. and no one liked it. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys heard of Andrew Dice Gay? <laughs> so he sends him home. He comes home, back in the bedroom again. Wife asleep. The mask he was wearing at the party on the pillow next to her. Oh shit! That splits him in two. It would seem to imply in some way that Nicole, like Alice Nicole Kidman was one of the women at the party or had partaken in like at least in some dream level in yeah. the same. He wakes her up. He's like, did you fuck my mask? <laughs> it's and wearing the, a little just, sailor hat. Just, just Jim Carrey walking out of the back. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. I didn't know you were here. <laughs> And then he breaks down and start. He starts crying and he's like, "I'll tell you everything." I suck at getting pussy. I can't do it to save my fucking life. Some teenagers called me gay, and I think they were gay. And then I almost got AIDS. I had a really bad night. I gave away all my money to a prostitute and then didn't fuck her. I bought her a cake and she wasn't there. So he breaks down, you know, they, 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 they come to sort of like a, you know, they stay up all night, have sort of, I don't know, some cathartic moment in their marriage. Just burning that gas. <laughs> <laughs> just ripping that fucking, that, that fire fucking just, Ohio medicinal. Back to back blunts to the head. Yeah, like, they're just burning through Dutchies. They're just fucking <laughs> blowing through backwoods. Last year in the movie, they take their daughter shopping at FAO Schwartz. And uh, again, they find the same gigantic teddy bear that was in Die Hard. Yeah, yeah coincidence? Movies, yeah. I, I think not. And then, like, you know, he's sort of like, what do we do? And Alice, Nicole Kidman says, you know, I don't know what to think or do, but like, what I do know is like, I'm very grateful to have you. And that, like, I don't think, you know, one, the reality or dream of one night can like, you know, change like the overall like course or tenor of our life. And, you know, he's like, do you love me forever? And she's like, you know, don't say forever. But, you know, there is one important thing we need to do as soon as possible. And he goes, what? And she goes, <laughs> <laughs> burn him. <laughs> burn him. 
blow that gas. We need to get fucking dumb. Dude. We need to get aggressive as fuck on those mids. Yeah. And then the last scene is just like them burning mids in the house, just laughing at dumb yeah. shit. And, and watching, again, com- watching Comic View on BET. Right. Like- and proving the Kubrick was a genius, the, the credit song is... Because I Got High by Afro Man, which didn't come out for another few years, if you recall. No, Kubrick la- wrote and performed that song. The last line in the movie is, fuck. Produced and directed by Stanley Kubrick. The last thing he'll ever do. Yep. Yeah. Fuck. Did a curse word. He did a cuss. He did a cuss. Ending the movie. He did a no growth. <laughs> which, of course, you know, there's the... Lo- Zizek has talked about that, how this movie is also like about Lacanian, you know, uh, fantasy and about how... The whole movie is uh, Kuru's being like overwhelmed by like the super fluidity of fantasy, and they need to have sex not to fulfill this fantasy, but to push it away, and like it like turn their back on it and say no, we'll just do the thing that can never compare to the fantasy that they've been pursuing the whole time, which is is not about sex; it's about something beyond that. But I uh, there's this thing that happens in that last scene that it's some two room two thirty seven shit, but it is interesting that has that, that has that is part of the theory of people who say that it is about elite pedophilia and that it's like a coded message. And that is that. So at the last shots before they, because the very end of them is just close-ups of, of them. And then like the two shot of their heads talking before that, the daughter is, is they're leading her through one of these aisles and they stop at the end, at the head of one of the aisles and turn to each other. And the daughter who's between them, but behind them starts walking away from them. And then two guys, two men, kind of go go up next to her, and one of them steps between the daughter and them, almost like she's being kind of taken. And they're both guys who appeared at the Ziegler's party at the beginning of the movie, including one of them who was a waiter at the party. So the theory there is that the implication, the deep implication here is that the daughter is being taken. And that sets up the movie Taken. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. No, I have I, a very particular set of skills. Yeah. Repeating what people <laughs> <I> tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have a very particular set of skills. Getting pussy, not one of them. Uh, no, so, I actually... Yeah, I, I mean, get all the me- you guys lay out a very convincing case that this is about Epstein and it's about like elite pedophilia rings, but I actually dis- I think this movie is about imposter syndrome. Okay. Tom Cruise has it, Speak and it destroys it. his relationships yeah. with Sidney Pollack. Yeah, but even before like pedophilia, because it's like even just even elites, like let's say it's politicians or whatever, they can't just be buying like top dollar fucking prostitutes. So even if you had a bunch of like politicians or whatever going to parties to fuck prostitutes, that would be pretty fucking scandalous. Yeah, yeah. So the idea that it would be wrapped up in some satanic bullshit where they are worried about like, oh, this is getting out or whatever, then they're murdering people to cover it up i mean like that is kind of like if that is the case or having those parties that by itself is is i don't know alarming or uh, yeah or, or would be or would be something to reveal I, guess. I mean i think like if you if you i'm like i i i'm not convinced that this movie is like a you know i i take it as about as seriously as the idea that like the shining is about how he fa- helped fake the moon landing i just think it's something fun to think about yeah, yeah. Well, yeah that being way, said it's, that, a, it's like most art it's not about anything it's about what you bring to it and it's a way to structure your own thoughts about it with the metaphors provided that being said like i do think if you look at kubrick's work as a whole there is a sort of a a a thread throughout all of them like whether it's like 
Barry Lyndon or Paths of Glory or even like Clockwork Orange or like uh, almost any of his movies. Like the characters or actors that are in them are just sort of like these clockwork pieces as part of this broader mechanism of which they are sort of irrelevant to the whole of. It's why uh, the acting in a lot of his movies comes across as kind of like weirdly stilted in yeah. a way because it's like he kind of doesn't care about actors or individuals. But um, as, like I'm thinking Barry Lyndon specifically, like he abstracts the individual as part of these larger like sort of geometric groups and patterns where individuality sort of melts away and people are wiped out, you know, that, that scene where they walk into, you know, a musket fire in the French column. But on top of that, is I think a deeper message about how dangerous power is. And like specifically after he filmed Dr. Strangelove, he never went back to the United States, never made another movie in the United States, never even flew on an airplane again, I think. Mm -hmm. And like put all of his money in like Swiss banks and gold and shit. He became like very paranoid about a lot of things. Yeah, I mean, that it's an aside, but people uh, often, one of the room to 37 things with uh, uh, the shining is people think it's a movie about the gold standard. That is another one of the yeah. theories in the shining. He was a big gold bug, but like, you know, it, like in this movie, like there is a theme about how like, you know, individuals are like just sort of bugs or like mechanisms in a much larger system of which they have no real control or even knowledge of. And that like true power is like very dangerous and sinister, but it's never fully articulated or realized because like you as both the viewer and the character can never really see or understand it. Yeah. And I think like, that's what he's getting at with this movie. Like there's no real resolution to like what the party is. Is it a dream? Is it fantasy? Like, what does it all mean? It kind of doesn't really matter because it's like, you know, it's like we said about, you know, whether it's Epstein or Manson or any of these conspiracies, like the JFK stuff we talked about, it's like, it's ethereal, it's vaporous. It's just there as this kind of like malevolent fog over everything. And you can never really grasp it because you're not meant to. And yeah. like there, there's no resolution it's just, it's to it. It's the residue of your ignorance. It's, it's like, it's the, it's, it's, it's like the vapor trail of the actual power mechanisms and people in power that you can never access by definition. All you see is like the outline created by it, like how the light bends around it, and all you can see is the bend. And then, so you're, you're you, of course, you're not going to be able to make out what it actually is because you can only ever see uh, it's like it's backwash. You can never actually get anywhere near it. Felix, though, I think you're you're actually your theory that the movie is about imposter syndrome is probably much closer to the actual satire. And like, like again, if you, I think you have to understand this movie as an incredibly dry comedy and a satire of kind of like middle, middle class manners and customs and their ambition to be a part of the world of true wealth and affluence, yeah. even though they, they, like, they don't know how on the outside of it they really are until like the veil drops and until the very end. Yeah, I mean, I wish I'd seen this before today because like knowing how much uh, uh, Kubrick abused Cruz and Kidman, like that's very likely that it, this is a comedy making fun of upper upper middle class drivers. Yes, like it very much feel like knowing how meticulous Kubrick was. Maybe the impression he wanted us to have was that Tom Cruise's character is ridiculous and hilarious in the in a sort of subtle way amidst all this like elite horror. Even even though like like whether not even that the the movie would be about or not about like these elites having these parties it's not even really something you have to expose because like people are aware of it i mean there's enough evidence you know it's not like he would be able to shed light on these things happening yeah um so it's like yeah i mean I, yeah i i don't know if 
like thematically that even ties into it any more than like the like, fact that he's a doctor is it's just sort of a given is that that elites do have like weird fucking sex parties but like i said like like the the, the sex in this movie or like the nudity or whatever which was like the hook when it first came out or like yeah. oh this orgy scene it's like as we said like actually seeing it it's like incredibly tame right mm-hmm. it's incredibly tame because i think all of the sex stuff or like the you know the ritualistic aspects of it are a kind of sleight of hand. I think it's a diversion distracting you with like you know boobs or whatever. But like really, the currency of the movie is money itself. Yeah, like that is the motor of everything. That's the real poison right. in everyone's veins. Is like like the more money you have, the more evil you are. Ultimately, the, the first party and the second one are just as bad as each other. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Um, the point of the the point of the orgy is like yeah, it's not the sex. It's that they're in the club and you're not. Yeah. Yes. It's 100% a... Yeah. And that, like, and he's exiled from the club is because, like, it's again, it's not about sex. It's about acquiring things. It's about owning things. It's about owning people and using them and exerting power it's over them. It's about getting all those women that have to stand there and then kneel and then kiss each other yeah. and then get but the it's, like, that's exactly yeah. the same yeah. as Tom Cruise being pulled away from the party to like cover up an OD yeah, right. from his rich friend because like he understands instinctively even though he doesn't really admit it to himself is that that is his use to this guy yeah. is to be of service and to use discretion when dealing with right. these super rich what people. Is, what does he say like when they first get to the party the first party he says he said doesn't know anybody there he doesn't know anyone there but before like before that, he says, this is what doing house calls will get you. Yeah. Like, there you go. That's as straightforward a clue as you're going to get for, like, one thing this movie is about. And, yeah, like, and, and the, 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 the schism in their marriage, again, like, the like inciting thing is, like, this absurd sex fantasy. Like, it doesn't even make sense. Right. But I think, like, again, that's a distraction because I think what he's really showing you is, yeah, like, upper middle class, like, neuroses and how, like, money and like is a kind of, like, uh, I don't know, toxic or like uh, dissolving agent for like love and mm-hmm. trust and affection between two people. Yeah. And like, like that's the real source of insecurity in their marriage is like this, yeah, this striving and this ambition and this like, even though despite how wealthy and how nice their apartment is like this insecurity mm-hmm. about all of it. Yeah. Well, there we go. Eyes wide shut. I think we've cracked the case. Yep. Any well, eyes, the wide eyes can close now. Yeah. We can, let's, let's all go to sleep. Yeah. Let's all, let's all go sleep in a big, in our big bed. Oh, I hope I'm, I'm not getting fucked by a naval officer <laughs> in my dreams tonight. That would suck. Uh, any concluding thoughts, or have we pretty much polished it off? Eh. There we go. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick's, I think, most enigmatic film. Yeah. Probably is one of his hardest to watch, but uh, very rewarding. Yeah. Rewards several viewings, Felix. Yeah. So I, I'd, give it, I'd give it another shot. I don't think that's going to happen. But no. you really should watch Den of Thieves, dude. It rips. No, I'm going to watch Den of Thieves. Oh, you would love Den I've of been, Thieves. Uh, you would love Den right, of Thieves, I, I guess I can... You know, interrupt my fourth and fifth reviewing of Justifying the Sopranos <laughs> to do that. <laughs> All right. That does it for us this time. Nick Mullen, thank you so much for joining us. For sure. Cheers, everybody. Bye.